Welcome to Artwork Play Podcast, a podcast where three pals get together and keep the spit shine on their debt-begotten degrees, talking video games, talking labor, talking politics, talking art. We've been getting some feedback from listeners, which is exciting and valuable. People were saying they wanted to have more context for the show and for the episode. In the spirit of the podcast as long-form social media, I have some self-contextualizing to do here. Um, Contextualizing me, Kat, and John in a broader political milieu and what brings us to this episode. I was born before the future in 81. Already in 84, Orwell's future was, Steve Jobs' future, and in 85, the Nintendo Entertainment System was released to a North American audience. In 89, down comes the wall. Fukuyama declares history over. Then it's the market research 90s, the Simpsons, the Clintons. John is born. 91, it brought us to Sonic, wherein the Cold War myth has moved from defining 20th century ideology through literary political mythos to slapdash incoherent trope. Then 93, Cat is born. In 97, the year the Tamagotchi is introduced to North America, Deep Blue defeats Kasparov. The machines outwit their makers. Fast forward to now, the golden age of podcasting in a time where everything is permitted and nothing is possible, the Adam Curtis post-truth world. Dystopia is at once passé and de rigueur. That's our sort of This Week on Artwork Play podcast. We're talking about uh, Sonic the Hedgehog today. We're talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. Not uh, the burger chain. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, we're going to be playing a very special game called Sonic Dreams Collection. Um, but it's a bit of a journey to get there from here. Um, where we are now is the original Sonic the Hedgehog game for the Sega Genesis. Uh, the Sega... Genesis came out in Japan at the at the same time that the Super Nintendo Entertainment System was released by Nintendo, and um, both companies had been competing. But at this point, Nintendo had seen the success of the NES. They had seen the the success of the Mario games on the Super Nintendo. Uh, the Super Nintendo is a 16-bit gaming system, um, and the Sega Genesis was as well. So I believe they're referred to as second-gen consoles. They're the second generation of like commonly owned video game consoles. And um, at that time, the the sort of a, a certain uh, the, these games, when we think of them today, they're so connected to the idea of nostalgia. And that is largely because the, the games from the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, uh, a lot of people our age grew up playing them. And they're these sort of, um, our young moldable minds were imprinted by by these these properties with these interactive worlds, which were some of the early ex, earliest experiences that I had. And so already, so we we are we are impacted by the nostalgia of that in a pretty um, uh, pr- pretty felt way. Uh, but already when they were created, when Sonic the Hedgehog was being made at the beginning of the 90s, there was a very well-defined um, 
nostalgic impulse in the Japanese influenced game design. Uh, so if you look at um, Shigeru Miyamoto, who is the designer behind Mario, who worked he worked at Nintendo, considered to be something of a Da Vinci of of, of video games. Uh, a, or I don't know what would be a better person who is a, f- a formal pioneer in the field. Oh, he, Michelangelo. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, before creating, so before before Mario, he made Zelda, and uh, Zelda at least in the press that Nintendo releases around Miyamoto, they sort of famously keep a close rein on him and he doesn't talk publicly very much. But the commonly held um, knowledge about Zelda is that it was inspired by um, Miyamoto's sort of wistful rememberings of exploring the forest near his home as he was a child. And um, when it was released, Zelda and Mario for after it, and then the, the, at the end of the 80s, uh, and the plethora of games that followed it, including Sonic, uh, there was already in the press in Japan... Um, people who would express relief that somebody was creating uh, a natural environment for their children to explore. And that was because at at that point, um, after the sort of rapid uh, industrial changes after the Second World War, uh, a lot of Japan was experiencing um, a form of environmental collapse uh, that a, a lot of the, the, the lived experience was that many people were living in these uh, gigantic cities. Uh, what would go on to inspire things like uh, uh, Akira and the like classic animes of the 90s? Um, the video games that were released at the time were in some ways intended to be a salve for that uh, environmental degradation. Um, and people were actually happy now that their kids would have a, uh, a nat- an experience of nature that, th- that was otherwise unavailable to them, but through these highly mediated forms. Uh, so in that context of always already nostalgia, we have Sonic emerge in, in 91, specifically as Sega's sort of last-ditch attempt to create a bulwark against the Nintendo Swarm, a, a commercial po- property to rival um, Mario. And um, we've had Sonic with us uh, ever since. And that was explicit, right? Like, he, like they were, they, like, they were, their advertisements, like, had some tagline about Nintendon't. Like they were explicitly responding to Nintendo um, when they invented the Needle Mouse characters, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. And in fact, I believe the designer of Sonic came up with the idea playing Mario, it, like doing speed rounds, like trying just to get through the level uh, to get on to the next levels to get on to the next, as opposed to uh, trying to complete things perfectly. And he said, and he said to himself, "What if I could design a game that?" That was the whole point to get through as quickly as possible. And Sonic is, yeah, just all the. It's the. It's about supposed to be about formally. It's about speed. In in Sonic games, you're always moving very fast. Uh, it's very disorienting, but and there's very little sort of like uh, control Waypoint. to it. Yeah. As we discovered, as we sort of were revisiting uh, Sonic 2 last week yeah. uh, off the pod, <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> uh, 
which was my also uh, speaking of nostalgia, of course, this is for me very uh, important uh, game in my life. I had a CD for my Windows 95 or whatever um, that ran, uh, I think, Sonic 1, 2, 3, and some sort of like uh, really crappy 3D racing game that had like been in, that was used the characters, but uh, I'm, I guess it was released by Sega, but I, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, um, uh, sort of tangents that like the Sonic canon goes through, uh, like as there's sort of this really core, uh, idea that like you start in like this, uh, all the games tend to start in like a lush green zone, green hill zone kind of thing, like the, uh, the first one that everyone thinks of you're like there's all these robot animals um that you can if you like attack them or uh sort of hit them as a spinning blue ball uh you you can return them to their original like sweet innocent natural state um and then you slowly progress into like uh more and more mechanic mechanized um roboticized uh, lands that you have to like pass through very quickly and uh, and and uh, defeat the boss Eggman at the end um, and and interesting interesting enough I think is like the way that Sonic really starts as this uh, he's like really this revolutionary character uh, without necessary necessarily a like huge uh, uh, backstory that is is obvious like you 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 see you're you're told the story through pl- gameplay there's clearly you are a anthropomorphic uh, hedgehog um, the creatures that you're say the creatures you're attacking are robotic versions of of uh, natural animals and creatures um, and then you return them to uh, their natural state but they're actually not anthropomorphic characters which is also interesting um, there's kind of like this le- this lesser uh, that uh, character that is a that is just the like uh, quadruped uh, creature that you are saving, um, and in the and in, in this uh, Sonic is like this cool anthropomorphic uh, hedgehog, and sometimes with other buddies who are also anthropomorphic creatures, and they're really like uh, they're they're destroying um, these cities, they're destroying uh, the kind of built environment that has been like pl- supposedly placed on top of their natural existence. Uh, and it's really interesting when you get outside, like when the, when you start entering the, the, uh, series that are created around Sonic, um, the cartoons, cartoons, uh, the like, yeah, (laughs) there's several animated series that I watched as a kid, um, as well as following the, uh, Archie comics, um, uh, owned, Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, so it existed in a different universe than Archie Comics, uh, like the Archie characters, but they it was owned by the same uh, company and so had the same target demographic. So it was a very family-friendly, like, oriented uh, comic. And, and that followed the same, uh, and, and that series followed the same uh, story as it, the second animated series. And in these animated series, Sonic is not just a revolutionary. He is, in fact... Um, he, he, he actually is fighting to restore a monarchy that existed uh, previous to the, a coup d'etat by a human character uh, who it turns in, later turns into Dr. Robotnik. Um, but in the second uh, animated series, 
which is the one that maybe most people are familiar with because like Sonic likes chili dogs in this one. It played reruns a whole lot. Uh, the, in this one, he has uh, he's part of this acorn kingdom and there's a king and he's trying to help the princess Sally Acorn uh, restore the king who has been overthrown by uh, Dr. Robotnik, who in fact was a friendly character brought on initially to develop um, an ultimate war machine to help the animal kingdom to actually fight some other unknown enemy that we don't really like because they defeat them immediately with this super war machine we don't actually get to see. Um, but it's interesting, of course, drawing back to what we were speaking of, like the previous episodes about robots, uh, Dr. Robotnik or Dr. Eggman, if you're uh, if you're using the Japanese um uh, names for things, uh, the, the concept of like these creatures being roboticized um, and then in turn becoming uh, robots, which of course is the, we get from the Slavic word for laborer. Uh, it, like it starts as this resistance to like uh, this, uh, Sonic really starts as this resistance to like kind of a more capitalist or uh, forced laboring world where like you're trying to disrupt, you're like this the saboteur disrupting um, the roboticization and the this uh, uh, this new um, powerful force that is controlling um, the, the the kingdom. But then later, as with the with the uh, that's how the video games start. And then later, as the the world is fleshed out more by these uh, other companies that are like coming in and like trying to profit off of it, they really lean back of like, okay, yeah, well, we're we're we may be like eco terrorists. And we're like exploding dams and just and drowning robots and stuff. But we're like just doing this in order to restore mon the monarchy and the, and the peace that's involved. I, that's kind of what it, one of the things I jokingly referred to in the uh, opening se segment there. I, I feel like there's like uh, a kind of incoherence to the narrative. It does seem like, so apparently uh, Robotnik is, is modeled after uh, FDR, uh, wow. who's, who is himself a kind of socialist leader. I do think the the invocation of the Russian name is is interesting. Um, uh, the, the, I, but I do feel like it's kind of a lazy uh, invocation of the Cold War um, dystopia vision. It's not quite this, the sort of thing that we would see in uh, 1984 or Handmaid's Tale, for instance, where there is like a, a much more... Uh, there's much more at stake. I guess, of course, it's a children's game. Excuse me. <laughs> it's I. It's because it's um, speaking to uh, more basic conservative values of uh, valuing like a s small scale um, community organize forms of organization that are uh, through ideology constructed as being more natural mm -hmm. um, than. Uh, than more like um, 
concentrated urban forms of, of organization, uh, which is a sort of like ideology that you would see, especially at the time of the industrial revolution, um, uh, where the, like this, this is one, one place that you see this, uh, happen a lot is the, uh, ideology around the valuation of folk culture, especially towards the end of the Victorian right. age, when folk, yeah. folk cultures were supposed to be more pure and closer to our uh, closer to our human nature, or whatever, than the uh, uh, popular cultures of the urban centers. And I think the Sonic games are expressing they're sort of the ideology is actually from more so the 19th century or from the like. Uh, um, the end of the French Revolution, but then superimposed onto like the aesthetics of the eighties. Right. I feel like, uh, you know, like for instance, later Sonics, they do kind of like an Arabian night thing. They, they, they play into other kind of like save the princess tropes. They even do kind of like a, uh, first person shooter, I think at a certain point, or maybe it's more a third person shooter. So I think a lot of the Sonic empire seems to be playing catch up with other, video games that pre-existed uh and and to me the especially in sonic one seeing that kind of like uh in the same way that you see in 1984 a kind of like uh socialist dystopia and what what can potentially happen if you give people these kind of like uh um this uh totalitarian control Uh, but, but I think it's like, it's been so absorbed and deracinated in, into the kind of like cliches of the moment that it doesn't, it it doesn't have a meeting outside of its context. I mean, Kat, I know that you wanted to talk about the, the, um, trailer, the, the, for the new, the new movie, like one of the themes of the film is this like vaguely military industrial background where there does seem to be this Russian threat. Uh, I feel like it's very interesting looking at, for instance, a 1984 through the lens of an Adam Curtis, where you see the hyper in a certain way, Russians are much more educated at the the kind of post-truth existence that North Americans are now being flabbergasted by. but it, um, you can see that in the plot of the Sonic movie, at least as it's kind of alluded to in the film, there isn't in the trailer, excuse me, there, there is this like, it's really as a double think as opposed to just like total dog breakfast, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. Like, uh, yeah, that's in, we sort of see the Sonic partners with a, a, a friendly neighborhood cop and the cop has to realize that the state is in fact the enemy but he uh and and that's who's like coming to like destroy everything it's good cop versus the state as we might uh it's very cute well yeah <laughs> but a bad actor in the state too <laughs> yeah. it's deep state because it's like yeah. not yeah. just he's there's um in the first trailer which um, yeah, the, in the, in the first trailer that was released in the movie, I guess we'll explain this in a moment. Uh, there's like a long scene of Jim Carrey berating this general in, in how he, ha- he, Jim Carrey, has more power than the general because he's like a secret actor within the States. So, right, yeah. Yeah, very much. 
much like how Putin puppets Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you, but expanding more, maybe before we get to the trailer, just expanding more on the uh, sort of proliferation of properties out of the original video game in the form of the TV shows. Mm -hmm. Um, That multiplicity. And comics. And yeah. comics, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't just one Sonic the Hedgehog comic. I think there was at least two. I only read the one. So that, like, multiplicity in commercial properties seems to also have generated uh, this, like, very rich fan uh, culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as there's, be- I mean, there's, like, this. there's multiple generations, really. Like, if you're, if you're at... Uh, if you're at a certain ripe age to like watch Saturday morning cartoons and then there's like the very different uh, series of of, uh, Saturday morning cartoons um, produced. Uh, Earlier ones are, uh, well, the first Sonic the Hedgehog ones are are like these um, episode of the week, like different little uh, skits and very more comedy, very like poorly made looking uh, cartoon. The second one, which is a much darker, uh, I think it it begins simultaneously or like they're, uh, they're both like made around 93, 94. Um, so I was seeing reruns at when I was watching them. Uh, but um, yeah, the second the second animated series is the darker one where uh, instead of like bopping Robotnik on the head with a giant hammer sort of thing at the end of the episode, um, they're actually blowing up his, uh, his they're, they're doing terrorism. And is then that they're the like- Is that called Sonic Underground? No, 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 no. So yeah, so that, the second one is just Sonic the Animated Series as yeah. was the first one, I believe. They have the same names or something. Uh, the second one uh, was co-produced in Italy um, by a holding, the, the, a company that is owned by the holding companies of current president Silvio Berlusconi. He's oh, he's not president. Okay, well, he was for very cut long that out. Um, well, uh, yeah, interesting that you know that that there's this uh, it's this character uh, that's promote this television series for children promoting terrorism uh, is is owned is is running and is running over and over again uh, when I was watching it pre nine eleven, um, uh, but also yeah this it owned both in, in, playing in Italy and also playing in, in the uh, North America. And then the third... <laughs> uh, the third, Wait, sorry. In Italy, that was at the same time that the the press about Gladio, the secret CIA stay-behind program in Italy was coming out, where which revealed that the Italian uh, government had actually, or forces within the Italian government had helped conduct false flag terror attacks against like the Bologna train station amongst other places in the seventies. Right. In co- in cooperation with the United States. Uh, influenced by. Yeah. yeah. And that darker Sonic, that's the one that's monarchist. Yeah. Well, that's the one that res- is, is it's eco-terrorism to, d- to restore the monarchy. That is the and, one. Yeah. And Robotnik is like, why is Robotnik a bad guy? He just thinks he deserves the world or he is this the one where he has the kind of like a machine that can kind of like make people think however he wants. He turns like he has- people to robots. Yeah. He, or he turns the anthropomorphized animals into robots. Um, because capitalism, uh, capitalism, what is it called? It's sort of like Foucaultian interpolation where capitalism makes its goals your own goals. Like once you're inside the system of capitalism, like once you own a house or like have an RSP or wh- whatever other ways that you buy into the system, you are aligned with its goals and you can no longer escape it. Mm-hmm. 
that third, uh, the third series, which I also watched on television, Sonic Underground, also uh, is about restoring a monarchy. Um, at, but in this case, instead of Sonic's girlfriend being um, the direct heir to the throne, it is actually Sonic himself. Um, also, this one is a cool one where all the Sonic and his two new siblings, which he didn't have before, play musical instruments, uh, which tied in with, of course, like uh, toys um, so that were promoted and sold and uh, given away at McDonald's, etc. cetera. Uh, so this is like kind of a different stage uh, where the Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, like uh, this from the, the audience, right? Hmm? So that comes out in the audience, right? I guess so. Yeah, I think I saw that. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's a little bit later. Uh, they're they're trying to find a new audience for Sonic. Perhaps, like as you were mentioning, he, the, the 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 series, the the canons ever evolving in order to like find new audiences and sell more things. But now they're not just selling video games; they're also selling physical toys that are just like tiny musical instruments, etc. Uh, I feel like this is, I feel like with the, um, especially like the first Sonic sets the the stage for it, but I think it, it haunts the entire, uh, uh, project, even up to and including the last movie. There's like this design by committee thing that seems to be happening with the Sonic franchise. And I think while that bedevils, like there's no continuity between a number of the stories, there, there seems to be. Or like even in the basic cartoonish trope of good versus evil, there seems to be like a, an incoherence around that. The design by committee comes out in the trailer, as we shall discuss. It seems to get a lot of things wrong in terms of video game design, in terms of in making a coherent universe. But then somehow it's so totally evocative for. Uh, audiences and and fans uh to up to and including the point where there's like a game you can play with the internet where you put in x name the hedgehog and see what comes up because (laughs) there's like a character designed for that i forgot about that oh yeah that well so why did that happen (laughs) why is it despite the fact that sonic is like this sort of empty signifier to be filled to be used for whatever purposes the like it's corporate overlords need it for, for at that time why is there this proliferation of fan culture and what is your relationship to it cat <laughs> well i can't <laughs> answer uh, i can't answer in a way that's uh anything less than just uh honestly speaking for myself um who uh who had created a number of um uh sonic original characters um that were uh, that were made to uh, date or have the, the character Tails, who is not actually, you know, I was kind of, I, I, I was not like other girls. I didn't make a character who Sonic would fall in love with. I respected the relationship of Sally Acorn or Amy Rose to Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and instead, Monogamous from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and instead um, chose the sidekick character, um, which I then, I think I had a, um, it was a, uh, a cat and a bat uh, at the same time, anthropomorphic. So it had like cat tail and bat wings sort of scare- anthropomorphic character. Um, later, I decided Tails wasn't quite goth enough. So I just made up the a new boyfriend um, for, my, uh, for my OC. Um, but uh, I th- I th- it was... You know, 
you know, there was like this really uh, inconsistent narrative that allows you to like insert your character, your like uh, right. your 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 own narrative into the uh, series. Um, that was just my own, you know, that's just my own reading as like a, a nine year old or whatever being like, <laughs> hey, I can make Tails fall in love with this person because uh, there's no there's like 10 different uh, universes where he exists and he's single in all of them. So, uh, <laughs> so it's that lack of coherency in the world building uh, that creates so many uh, spaces for fans to occupy and to improvise. I, I mean, that's what I found as a child. I think you could have a more sophisticated reading of of it as a, than than me, but <laughs> I seem to agree. Also, then, like there is, there's this great aesthetic that is very easy to draw. Um, oh, like yeah. you know that it, you can that as as when you enter X name the hedgehog you find like terribly drawn drawings. Okay, that's a great <laughs> place to start talking about the trailer then if you're down. Yeah, totally. Because there's this whole we the one reason we had Sonic on our brain is cuz we this these uh sets of trailers came out over the past uh, couple weeks or months. Um they released one Sonic trailer um and then it's because of the the uh, reception of it, they redid it and released another one. Um, so it's specifically the the rendering. It's a three D animated movie with real actors as well. So there's a three D animated Sonic in a real uh, setting, uh, and uh, the original rendering of Sonic was just it was determined. And like sort of reviled by the internet as being like too strange, too uncanny Mm -hmm. uh, and just like get dunked on so hard uh, that they went back and re-rendered him and put out a new animation with a new Sonic that is less human-like, less sort of like less of an attempt at naturalism, I guess, Mm -hmm. and more representative of the like icon Sonic. Mm -hmm. Like it's It's a lot more cartoonish. Yeah, they used to draw. (laughs) Well, and then you even see in the trailer that you that the it it doesn't move within the 3D space, the space of the video. It doesn't function in that space. And with the same physics as the other one, in a certain sense, the original uh, trailer is more technically correct as a realist enterprise, that, or as a realist, um, if they're setting the goal of doing kind of like this Disney make everything real sort of thing. It it kind of was more successful in the first one. This going back to the drawing board, I think, also happened around the release of the Sega Saturn. Uh, and there was supposed to be like another big landmark uh, um, Sonic the Hedgehog game come out with the release of the Saturn uh, that ultimately also got sent back to the drawing board. And I think the the game itself never did get released. And I think it was the Saturn in particular that did really poorly until the the what's the other one called the Dreamcast? Yeah, the right. Dreamcast came out. Right. So we have the trailer running now. Um, where it's uh, there, there's all these great uh, side-by-side comparison videos uh, that show on on the YouTube that show the original and then the uh, the redo. Um, and the what I what I really like about the redone trailer is if you sort of pause 
Um, you can see a lot of the artifacts around Sonic where they would have had to go <laughs> in and edit and reinsert um, the new animation, the new more cartoony, less lifelike animation. Um, and it's it's such a it's a very um, uh, it's a large scale cultural expression of this like feeling of like the uncanny valley uh, around uh, around 3D animation, but also uh, people expressing these strong feelings that are caused by our feelings of nostalgia towards these corporate properties. Do you want to say what we're talking about when we're talking about uncanny valley? Um, yeah, it's like the idea that um, in uh, pro in 3D animation, uh, 3D modeling, or just maybe a representation in general, uh, as we are developing technologies that let us simulate things uh, to create increasingly uh, what you would call naturalistic or realistic uh, representations of things, uh, especially the human form, um, we we start to hit this this uh, sort of downward slope of uh, of um, of believability, where the closer to it being realistic it becomes, technically, uh, it hits this slump where it's it's at this like almost there but not quite uh, sense of the uncanny in, in the representation. So you see that, especially I think in this movie, in the original trailers with that people hated, uh, the sort of like hair and the way the eyes look and all these things that are technically very realistic. The gestalt of it is something that produces, uh, a sense of the uncanny that is not it's it's it goes it works really well for a lot of like 3D artists who are who are specifically trying to exploit and mine that territory of like uh, making invoking that feeling of the uncanny in us. But that is not a thing that large scale commercial properties are ever trying to make you want to feel. I think this is inevitably we must um, connect the current podcast episode to the to the most recent one, and so I find myself. Going back to Berardi here, I th I think a lot about. I've been thinking a lot recently about how, like Berardi saying, how network technology doesn't function in the same way as uh, uh, technologies that are outside of the network. And so this, in a certain way, this this change to uh, Sonic is the result of network technology, right? In very clear ways. Um, and it's and it has the function of asserting a normative thrust. One of the this uncanny valley thing, um, the the standard of un uh, of of what is uncanny is of course something that uh, that people study and they've arrived at a sort of pseudoscience of, and that science itself has makes certain normative claims. Where if you go in and look at what they're talking about, what's considered uh, human and what's considered not quite human that that itself has its own normativizing standard i think it's like it's, it's interesting cat because you're thinking about the original characters that you that you make and on the one hand it's like there's this universe of potential that is opened up by being able to take these characters and re and put them into different positions and uh, different sorts of narratives but then a lot and then this is, and this is no 
shot at nine-year-old you, but we do then reproduce kind of like heteronormative relationships and r those kind of romantic pursuits. And I think it's, you, you can see the network here functioning to n normalize the, their nostalgia. And it's also like a part of like, let me talk to your manager culture a little bit. The, 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 the second trailer, the tri which means the movie's not going to be released around Christmas, which is when they originally had planned so that they could make all that money, um, make the money off of the, the film. Instead, they had to work overtime and delay the release of it. Mm. Hilarious. Like, yeah, gamer gamers are such hilariously um, uh, overbearing consumers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I was listening to um, a podcast uh, where a, an NES historian was talking about how much um, pseudo history comes out about video games, how lacking in rigor video game history is because of how totally um, uh, blinkered by uh, nostalgia and and the sorts of like preference culture that emerges out of nostalgia, which is to say people be, this is just my favorite thing and therefore it's the best. And it's like a circular argument that kind of loses track of the medium. It is an evolving medium. There is a history to it, but a lot of it gets kind of like bogged down in um, a, the sort of opinions you might find on a forum or in the comments section of a YouTube trailer. But it's a good thing then that the internet has us, the first people to approach this topic with a totally unblinkered, unbiased, and ideologically clear, clear and materialist uh, perspective um, that has not been seen before. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I, I feel like I have done the self-reflexive work. I, I don't. Ideology doesn't work on me. <laughs> <laughs> ideology... It's like we're sonic and we move too fast for the ideology. It's like <laughs> all of the other people have been turned into these mechanized robot animals and that's ideology on them. And we have to enter the fetal position and, and run in and run over them uh, to remove their ideology and they will thank us when they're finally free. So With it's their little cutified bouncy eyes it's funny ben that you say that this fan culture uh, is sort of promoting uh heteronormativity uh or it's it's, it's a it's a, a channel by which um the like hegemonic uh cultural industry can infect nine-year-old cat when you see the the proliferation of sexual proclivities that are inspired <laughs> through sonic fandom because i think through sonic fandom we it's and and the the like drawings the art that's produced we we are we have experienced a sort of a, a renaissance in sexual possibilities especially when combined uh with um uh just anthropomorphism or like the internet's obsession with anthropomorphism and and furry culture and things like that there's actually in a way a way in which um uh everything uh, is is permitted thanks to sonic fan culture what's the rest well not everything's quite permitted because i mean there is 
the some I think that you know the concept of the Mary Sue, which my character certainly was, this idea that a character's really only invented uh, in order to like hook up with in as a hetero usually a heteronormative sense with like a main character is also uh, because that is the space that's often permitted for uh, like female characters in in these fandoms. There's not uh, of like in in Sonic. Um, it is a it is a save the princess sort of scenario. There is there's even in like this sort of expanded universe, the only active uh, sort of female roles usually are the girlfriends of other significant male characters. Um, so, <laughs> there, yeah, the just not everything is permitted. Even there there are some uh, there are some small things that are still uh, kept or small. Let's say there are some uh, things that are still kept uh, outside of the canon. Uh, specifically, you know, uh, sort of more inclusive uh, roles for people uh, for different identities to uh, op operate in, and of course, we see this then when uh, uh, they're trying to like politically correct uh, an, a, an earlier uh, uh, intellectual property like Ghostbusters or something coming out with like Lady Ghostbusters, how that can be like really. Uh, how that can respond to, be responded to by um, the original gatekeepers or uh, the fans. It is, yeah. It is weird tension there, like the the, the post internet explosion of kink stuff that real like the sorts of kinks that really only do exist in a post internet context, and how intensely it happens with Sonic. Like you don't see the, I, as far as I understand, you don't see the same thing happening in Mario. And arguably, there's, it's not an anthropomorphized animal main character. And perhaps this is why. But I think there's more to it than that. So, on the one hand, this explosion of post internet kink. And then on the other hand, the, the kind of like foreclosure of certain roles, even costuming cat, you were talking about earlier, how there's, the, the, there, there's like very clear patriarchal allegiances even in the fantasy culture mm. that emerges around uh sonic or, it, but yeah, it, but it, specifically that like the the male of the male characters of like sonic the hedgehog tails knuckles these characters they're all essentially naked they're all just wearing fur some are wearing running shoes or like gloves or something cool like that but then uh, generally, the female characters are actually, while being anthropomorphic animals, are actually wearing clothes <laughs> to cover <laughs> their uh, assumed the areas where their feet, their human breasts would be, not like you know their animal like six nippled udders, udders or whatever. <laughs> there were the no, they they're wearing bras <laughs> in like the official canon. <laughs> well, I think it also plays into that thing where like in uh, heteronormative male fantasies, like a half-dressed woman is preferred to a nude woman. <laughs> you and, gotta leave some uh, for the imagination. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, like also kind of like a threat at the, the nudity of a female form, like the threat of the female form itself. But there does seem to be these kind of like heteronormative patriarchal allegiance, allegiances baked in. It's, it's uh, I, 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 yeah. I wonder what why that, is happening those two like clearly connected but um seemingly intention uh outcomes well um like because it's still the it's like the possibility space is still defined by it being the product of this like 
hegemonic cultural force. I mean, like the 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 boundaries of heteronormativity are still there. And so it's like the fandom is just most like in terms of like incorporating kinky stuff into the sonic art. It's just like sort of looking inward within those boundaries. Does that make sense? I'm not entirely sure. It's like um, the 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 assumption being that a lot of the sexy sonic fan art is still operating within the boundaries of heteronormativity, even if it's being sort of like edgy within those boundaries or like exploring deeper within the like, but while still not being anything more than like heteronormative or and 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 chauvinistic or something well even in the cases of like m preg or like male pregnancy there exists a of uh, a sort of like sacred family unit between the parents um mm-hmm. which i guess uh i mean if maybe that's what you're like getting at even in the sort of more uh in those sort of that exist outside the scope of the of 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 exi- a real life heteronormative like lived experience or whatever like the the mpreg still repeats a lot of um uh or the mpreg fan fan fictions tend to recreate a lot of like the nuclear family vibes of like a a certain roles filled by parents even if they uh of different maybe of different gender identities (laughs) what if we were to what i wonder if any of this will be easier to talk about looking at some of sonic dream mm-hmm. yeah. yeah let's make our own sonic and make my sonic pregnant instead of choosing which of uh, which sonic game to play between sonic one two three sonic heroes sonic yeah, instead of cho- choosing a um, a licensed Sonic property, uh, we're going to play a bit of Sonic-inspired um, uh, art, uh, a game made by the uh, a, um, a a collective called Arcane Kids, and they they make they were making weird Unity, which is projects, and that's a, a video game engine. Uh, that we use as well. They're making weird Unity projects uh, earlier in this decade. Um, and uh, often that we're sort of playing with um, uh, in, uh, copyrighted property. So they made a game called uh, Bugs B 3D Visits the James Terrell uh, Retrospective. Um, and then that was followed by this game, Sonic Dreams Collection, which they they claim was uh, found in on a um, on a Dreamcast developer's kit that they bought on eBay. And so the idea being that these are sort of like illicit secret Sonic games that were all made in the uh, 90s. Um, and it's a collection of a couple of different games, and they all are very much playing with the idea of Sonic as a um, sort of like cultural force in the fan uh, context, and then also in the sort of like um, why there's all this like illicit desires that are sort of like construed through the image of Sonic. 
Okay, so the first game is called Make My Sonic 96. Make My Sonic... Well, in brackets, 96, because it supposedly was that came out then. Yeah. So there's there's, um, a set of text that describes what this is, and the first first minigame is said to be a... um, MJ Studios' first prototype with Sega and a Sonic OC original character creator. So I'm going to play this. So already they're sort of like bringing up the thing that Kat was doing when she was nine years old, which is uh, working with OCs, with original characters, creating them yourself, using Sonic as a medium of self-expression. So it has this very, uh, yeah, Sega Dreamcast aesthetic to it, but also a very um, Unity 3D aesthetic. So that's the game engine that we use. And it's uh, there's an editor interface where you can choose from a bunch of buttons that let you change the color of your Sonic, as well as letting you change the sizes of his heads, legs, and arms. And um, the... The Arcane Kids, the makers of, of this game, they sort of open it up this way with something that's, uh, I would call it a bit gentler than the rest of the content in terms of the sort of like, um, this game gets pretty uh, Lynchian, I guess is one word that I would use to describe it. Um, but it opens you up with a, uh, uh, a Sonic the Hedgehog creator, which is familiar to anyone who's used the character creator screen in a video game uh, before. I guess broadly speaking, too, there's a bit of um, a journey that, that the games take you through in terms of like the degrees of response to uh, Sonic fandom and Sonic lore. Uh, like beginning with the character description and then an origin story of Eggman or Robotnik. Um, yeah. Whoa, so uh, this, this, the character creator also <laughs> lets you, um, throughout, throughout the Sonic Dreams collection, uh, a sort of recurring theme is these ragdolled Sonic the Hedgehog bodies. And so a ra- ragdoll physics is when you have a body in 3D space where it's, it is physically animated through joints between different parts of the bodies. So you'll often see this in a video game, uh, in a shooter video game. If, if you kill somebody, uh, it'll sort of turn off the animations that was causing that 3D model to stand up, and they'll just flop to the ground like a like a ragdoll. This just looks like regular Sonic because the head is like three times as big as his body. Good job. But uh, yeah, very good at making an accurate Sonic. So um, OC. so now, uh, do you want to go to the photo booth? Oh hell yeah! Uh, let me make the head small again. Okay, that's. Manipulating her character and changing the color and placing the feet, she came up with oh, a nice. oh. pretty distorted, uh, <laughs> a pretty distorted character. She's now throwing gold rings at it. it just Which ba- you know, it's, it's a supreme source of power. It's just bouncing off the character. It looks a bit like that scene in Flashdance, except giant gold rings. <laughs> Take screenshot. There we go. So from this, this is this initial point. They're introducing the different idioms of both uh, the Sonic 
property itself, which is like the gold rings, the character, um, but then and then also some of the initial like impetus behind the fan culture, which it starts with original character creation, like making a character inspired by by the Sonic property. Uh, but then it goes places from there. So we'll see where it goes to next. Nice. So you want to hit the back button? Well, I Take another picture. Okay. I hope this saves. Uh, okay. And quit. So moving on to the next. Wow, that's awesome. Moving on to the next uh, mini game in this collection is Eggman Origins from 1997. Almost nothing is known about Eggman Origins. There's no surviving documentation. From digging through the code, we can tell it was an MMORPG, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. But few have ever seen past the title screen. So we'll see if we can make it. Eggman Origin. So Eggman, again, is the Japanese translation of Dr. No, it's the Japanese name. The Japanese name that was then changed by the European... For American markets. Dr. Robotnik. And then there was one called Kintober, too, for a while. Like another... Is that the same That might be in the comic books, one of the comic books. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know it. (laughs) It's a troll. (laughs) Uh, maybe. Huh. It's saying no network adapter connected at, when you try and go to into the Eggman origin. Let's try this again. Try clicking on the little Eggman in the corner. It seems like a troll. Troll game. Okay. Well, if anyone in the pot, anyone who's listening. Oh, I can click on the. Uh, maybe, maybe you know how to get this is working. Is there like a, is there a um, Easter egg somewhere? I'll just drag my cursor around. No, let's go to the next one. Okay. Okay. So next one, I think Thank is you. my favorite. Yeah. So next one is Sonic Movie Maker, which is um, many one, years ahead of its time <laughs> from 1998. But I think I, um, this is one of the first weird video game things I ever thought. And it was very influential. Mm-hmm. Um, so you find yourself so first this awesome logo sonic dream team uh you (laughs) the opening screen is like a sinking city with sonic sitting on a desert island looking at a giant uh handy cam um and then so you pick from the list of scenarios the first scenario being backyard and then you're on a uh, a movie set and you can navigate it in first person view um, uh, the movie set is of a, a backyard and this is sort of where the game starts getting a bit weird um, so you're you're given these different props that you can manipulate and you're also given a camcorder camera um, and you use the camcorder camera to uh, film the original character that you created in the last room or just a generic sonic well, character but it's actually. changed to be the same color as it was oh me. yeah so you get to you have a sort of uh a generic <laughs> sonic character that's just flopping around on the ground uh while you um manipulate objects around them and then you sort of have this uh again if you've seen the movie uh lost highway by david lynch you get this uh uh camcorder in the style of the um the villain from that movie um uh to film the your your sort of like uh your sonic character who's just sort of like flopping around like a dead fish on the ground 
and already you get this sense of sort of like disquieting voyeurism the the sonic character is also wearing a diaper which sort of like doesn't bode well for the future of this yeah. uh video or this uh this video game i like my floppy arm too oh that you can put like different things to him oh this is there's little speech bubbles that you can grab and put over top of uh, your character. Cat has grabbed one that says toss the ball, dad, and parked it over the crumpled corpse of her avatar. Yeah. Who's also sort of being crushed by a car right now. Oh, I put that there, yeah. So uh, now um, you with this with this software, you can actually record videos. It saves to your computer as, as video files. I can watch the movie this time. And yes, yeah, so let's see the movie you made. So then once you exit the level, you're taken to like a movie theater where you can watch the video you just made. <laughs> you're shown a scene of you watching the movie you just made. And <laughs> Good job out there. So it's one so of the characters. You move through the scene and they get increasingly disturbing as it goes on. So from a ba- the backyard scene we are just in... You're taken to a promenade scene, um, uh, which has two uh, ragdolled characters sort of rolling around on the ground. Oh, yes, it's rouge. And there's little heart emojis coming off of them. It's kind of like sexually suggestive. Yeah. They're really Um, getting, getting it on. They're really going for it. And you're sort of like um, this feeling of voyeurism is like increased by, I don't know, there's something about the Handycam, this old school 90s Handycam that really gives a feeling of like um, low budget porno or something like that. I got my camera now. Well, they've also really, it also feels very staged somehow, even though it's like a video game and the the video game level itself might take on that, the feeling of a set the somehow they've really managed to main, maintain that set feeling the sort of emptiness uh, of a set yes uh, there, and so there is that kind of like uncanniness as well yeah um do you want to go to the next room because it starts getting uh, more creepy <laughs> okay so we've seen prom night movie um you're sort of following Sonic's. This is sort of each scene sort of progresses Sonic's life to the next stage. So from childhood to prom night uh, to now you're outside of sort of a seedy looking motel. You're not really in a set anymore. You're not in a set anymore. You're just outside. Yeah. Very, again, a very David Lynch scene of like, uh, yeah, motel that seems. Where did I go? Um, it's like even hard to see. It's so dark. I think you go up the stairs. There's a room it's up a bit there. Fish-eyed. You can see the moon so over overhead. That way, over that way. Other stairs. You're behind the stairs right now. Um, oh, this is. These are stairs. And uh, you need to navigate up to the second floor of a motel, oh, yeah, where there is a door that is open with your handy cam on the outside. Oh, cool. And it. now we hit really the like. This this is where it gets the most like lynching. Is you found tails on the ground, seem, seemingly passed out, with what looks like beer pong yeah. on a table. 
Um, so Cuts maybe like lifting tails and throwing him around. <laughs> and then you oh. turn to see on a bed writhing bodies, writhing ragdolled bodies, um, with like emanating hearts. There's, I think. Oh, it's shadow. Is that shadow? Oh, it's a threesome. It's rouge and shadow. Rouge and is a bat. Rouge is a bat. Shadow's another hedgehog. Yeah, shadow's a hedgehog. Okay, so Kat's filming this sort of like haphazard copulation. Again, not, no, it doesn't, they're moving. Oh. <laughs> and then the the text bubbles you can add to the scene are, I'm horny. I'm and lonely. I'm lonely. <laughs> it's the exit. Get me out of here. Um, I bet Did you film there. your porn yet? Oh, yeah. Film's done. Um, it's I'm, not over I'm there. lost, though. It's lost in the horny zone. Too bad. Tails. Tails. Yeah, tails. Porn. Oh, there it is. It's at the end of this hotel. Get me out of here. Can I run? No. Um, this game very much a popular YouTube game because of the its weirdness and the sort of like it's it easily generates reactions out of players, so uh, it's it it gains sort of notoriety for for that because oh well, because it's so absurd. Well, but then I think it does a lot of the things that it, um, where it's reflexive about the medium that it's using. It also is like. Uh, um, taking consideration of Sonic fandom and incorporating it in a in a clever way into gameplay, it's doing some. It is doing like a traditionally art thing. Uh, with the th this game is very arty in that regard, in in terms yeah. of being aware of itself and aware of the the content and the lore around it and its real world ramification. Wow. That's a um, this, so we now find ourselves in a sort of like a stark industrial looking space with, with blood Sonic. around. I don't oh, know. Oh, wow. You can feed Sonic. Yeah, blood or oh. like food. And uh, Sonic is on sort of an operating table uh, with some <laughs> lights above him. And uh, there's a table full of cake that you can feed to Sonic as his stomach balloons out. Uh, sort of. Um, Oh, there's my camera. Bringing the the I the I think the context being like um, uh, uh, a feeding fetish. Um, so you you have to stuff Sonic full of food. You can there's uh, some text bubbles that you can add to Sonic that said "Feed me more," or what's the other one say? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And Sonic just keeps getting bigger and bigger on this operating table, and it's very. Uh, the, the, the setting makes it very pretty distressing. And his belly is getting bigger and bigger, which I think ties into some uh, pregnancy stuff that we'll see in the next scene. I'm out of here. Um, the, I, and that's something also that I love about this game is that there is a progression of this like uh, freaky narrative from one a scene to the next um, w where it just sort of like it presents them as the the or the initial thought that you would have especially in the first scene in the backyard where it's sort of innocuous is that these are just different settings that are all the same but each one becomes weirder than the next so now we have Sonic in what looks like more of a like a, a nursery hospital setting um, with again a huge body like in the last a huge belly dog. a chili dog next to him you can't feed him anymore which you no, won't eat but if 
But if you bring down, oh, Ugh. you oh, you pull a golden ring and it drops things. It just and dropped a couple of bowling balls on him, and some, he shot something out. <laughs> I think he shoots out gold chili rings. Dogs. Oh, oh yeah, either gold rings or chili dogs. Oh yeah, stuff. Uh, Jewels. Maybe it's maybe he's birthing them actually. Oh yeah, he is. I think. See, because you have this. You get a sign that says it's not easy being pregnant to place over top of Sonic. <laughs> but where is my camera? It probably pops down eventually. Be out of here. And now someone's saying, let me out of here from inside Sonic. Oh, it's Tails. 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 Tails all along. Yeah, where do you get the camera from? Maybe this ring one more time. Film your good boy. Yeah. he was. The, I didn't get the moment of birth thanks to the, not knowing where my camera is. Uh, must be somewhere else in the space. Oh, up there? No, that's a light. Uh, is it? Can you get back there somehow in that room? No, it's just an empty hall. That's where I came from. Um, well, these scenes, do you want to go back and look at um, Roommate Sonic? Because sure. these scenes sort of just keep going. Uh, the You can download, you can play this game for free online. So uh, I would recommend seeing <clears throat> just how far down the uh, rabbit hole you can go. <laughs> Um, but if if you want to, yeah, you have to hold escape to escape to the. Oops. Oh no! I closed it. Opening. Um. Okay, it's opening again. And then let's just go through Sonic, Roommate Sonic really quickly. My roommate Sonic, for sure. Okay, so the final, the final game in Sonic Dreams Collective is My Roommate Sonic. My Roommate Sonic is an autobiographical game which explores a human-hedgehog relationship set in a modern apartment complex. My Roommate Sonic was a flawless first step into virtual reality. The Sega VR headset was never released, so this game too got buried. But you can actually play it with the Oculus as well. It does work, um, but yeah. It has this hilarious VR aesthetic too, which is really nice. Where it looks like you're looking through an old school headset and then you find yourself in a living room with a phone looking at a movie of a hedgehog with Sonic the Hey. Hey. Hi. So you find yourself in a um in a uh living room looking at a video of a hedge a real life hedgehog sitting on a couch next to Sonic the Hedgehog himself. <laughs> You look out the window in the apartment across from you, you see Eggman, Dr. Robotnik. He seems to be texting you on your phone, giving you directions to get a little more intimate with your roommate Sonic, who's sitting next to you on the couch. He tells you to just follow his lead, and you do. So first off, the instructions are to give him the tickles. So you, with one arm outstretched, oh, no. you reach at Sonic. He slaps your arm away, and your arm stretches in a uh, rubber man-like way. It hits the table. You go for it again, a tickle. Sonic is clapping because of the, the content on the television, the real-life hedgehog that you're watching. Um, try tickling his body some more. 
There you go. Oh, you tick, you tickle him, and Sonic reverts to his uh, fetal position, speed mode. Um, Doctor Robotnik from the apartment across the way instructs you to go for the kill. The kill being the the expert tickle. You go in again, reaching for him. Trying. Yeah, go right there. Go right on his body. Wow. Slaps you away again. No luck. Your arm is now irrevocably stretched out, really snake-like in front of you. Oh, here it came back. It came back. The <laughs> final tickle takes a lot of skill. He's so he's fast. Gotta say, this guy is fast. It's it's. He's not really interested in your advances, and Cat is not really uh, respecting. Respect. Yeah. It's like not really the way you should behave with a roommate, eh? No, and I'm not really getting enthusiastic consent off of Sonic's uh, slaps. Oh, you Bro. can sort of pull his shoe around? Maybe. Can we see Sonic's sexy feet? That's like, what do his feet look like? Well, I can't. He's just not letting us tickle him. So what's the new instruction on the phone? It just says to go for the kill. Um, which I don't quite know how. I, I guess I'm not experienced enough in, in seducing roommates. We didn't watch a Let's Play beforehand. Maybe we're missing. Something. Oh, you take off his shoe! Oh my gosh! Oh wow! Oh wow! He just jizzed oh. a bunch of rings out, <laughs> and he's blushing now. You do take off his. So oh, now he slowly oh. reaches towards you. The phone says, "Stare deep in his eyes." As his eyes merge into one cyclopsian vortex, you've taken it too far. As the phone starts to slide out of your hands <laughs> and into the hole in Sonic's forehead. Inside of Sonic's forehead, you see a human body curled into the fetal position. Which is your body, assumedly. No, because there's no head on it, so you'd assume that would be where your VR head is. Oh, right. The human body is on a checkered um, floor. Your legs uh, walk unnaturally along as you start running. Your body transforms into a humanoid Sonic the Hedgehog body, uh, an athletic buttocks pulsing as you run down the uh, sort of uh, hyper-real version of the Sonic the Hedgehog um, uh, green grasslands. Um, the phone pops up in the background and asks, I hope this is what you wanted, as you realize you're now watching this from your television with a Sega Dreamcast in the foreground. Oh. And you can, a large hand oh, no. comes down Sonic. to power off. Oh, but we Sonic turned off your video game. No. Now we are the video game. It's just us. So, so I think that's... We see... That... that I don't think they really should have made this movie. Obviously, it's going to be trash. But or I, I still... I, I'm going to see it. And I'm sure I'll love it for its trashiness. The Sonic the Hedgehog movie. But this... This move Sonic Dreams Collection <laughs> sort of represents the apotheosis of Sonic. There doesn't need to be more Sonic content past this, beyond what the fans generate. And our own podcast episode. Yeah, yeah this is sort of, the, consider this the final word on all things Sonic. And like, no, there's no need to talk about it anymore after this point.
You mentioned a creed before. What is it? Nothing is true. Everything is permitted. To say that nothing is true is to realize that the foundations of society are fragile and that we must be the shepherds of our own civilization. To say that everything is permitted is to understand that we are the architects of our actions and that we must live with their consequences, whether glorious or tragic.